So how many of you have seen the movie Hook? Have you guys seen Hook? Yeah, a lot of adults have. Uh, if you have not shown the movie Hook to your family or seen it yourself, please do go home this afternoon and watch the movie Hook. It's a wonderful movie. But it's a movie about Peter Pan. And Peter Pan has grown up to be an adult, uh, and he's back in, in Earth as a, as a businessman, and he's totally forgotten about all of his adventures back in Neverland. Well, somehow, Peter Pan, adult Peter Pan, who's played by Robin Williams, he, he, gets, he comes back to Neverland. He gets captured and brought back to Neverland. And the lost boys are trying desperately to remind him who he actually is, that he's the great Peter Pan. And one of my favorite scenes in this movie, Hook, is when the, the lost boys seat Peter down at this massive table. And Peter hasn't eaten anything since arriving in Neverland, and so he's absolutely starved. And they start setting down these pots and these pans there, but as they're uncovering the lids of these things, Peter looks inside and he notices they're all empty. And he just feels absolutely tortured in this moment. And he sees the other lost boys, how they're, they're kind of going up to the table and they're picking up this imaginary food and they're eating it. You know, they'll like take a corn on the cob and be like, and Peter Pan is like staring at them like, you're crazy. What are you doing? There's no food here at the table. What am I supposed to do? And they're just telling Peter, like, imagine Peter, just eat, just come on, Peter, like play along. Well, out of frustration, what does he do? Do you remember? He takes the spoon out, and he positions his spoon right at Rufio, who's kind of the, the scoundrel of the group. And he holds it back, and then he pretends, well, he, he lets go of it and lets the spoon flick forward. And in that moment of imagination, the reality of the scene completely unlocks. All of a sudden, this kind of like neon blue or green mashed potato stuff hits Rufio in the face. Real food actually hits him in the face. And then the camera pans out, and all across the table is just an abundant feast that is laid out. You see mashed potatoes there. You see pies. You see chicken and turkey and fruit and fine drink and cheese and all of this elaborate food. It is an amazing feast that is there. So, kids, if you don't have your worship journals, uh, in your bulletin, there's kind of a, a blank page in the back that just says notes. And what I would love for you to draw today is an elaborate feast. I want you to draw like a feast like none other. And I want you to think about what kind of food is going to be there. Uh, what's your favorite food? What's going to be there? Also, what's the occasion that you want to celebrate? Is it a birthday party? Is it a family reunion? Is it a wedding feast? What kind of occasion do you want to celebrate? And then who else would be there? Who would you want at this big feast? Maybe you might draw your family there, your friends, maybe even people who've passed away and you would just love a chance to have a meal with them. So after the service, parents, if you want to snap a picture of that, feel free to do that and send it to myself, to Molly, to any of the other children's leaders, and we'll take that picture and if it's okay with you, we'll put it on our church website. Uh, we have this children's creativity page that we've put on there and we would just love for you to be able to share your pictures of a feast. And if you are an adult and you would like to draw at this time, we will allow that. That'll be fine, too. And you can send us your, your pictures, and, and I'll, I'll email that out to the church as well. So in our gospel reading, Jesus tells the story of an elaborate feast. It's a beautiful, amazing feast. 
And this is a feast like none other. This is a wedding feast being put on by the king for his son. The son of the land is getting, the son of the land is having this massive feast. I haven't looked at my notes, so I need to figure out where, where are you, Rick? Oh, great, here we go. So anytime someone in England, like a part of the royal family, when they get married, it's a big deal, right? Like all the news is absolutely consumed with it. Like the entire world obsesses over any time someone in the royal family gets uh, married. It turns into like an entire global event. Everybody likes to, to watch this. Well, imagine if you yourself received an invitation to actually go to the royal wedding, to, to go to the palace, to see everyone in their amazing garb, to, to enjoy the amazing food that's there, to be interviewed and asked what it's like to be there. Like, imagine if Queen Elizabeth herself called you and said, uh, hey, I'm Queen Elizabeth, as you might know, and I think it'd be a great idea to invite you to the, fe- or to the wedding feast of my son. Like, you would cancel all of your plans. It doesn't matter what's happening. Like, you would want to do everything in your power to make sure that you made it there to the great wedding feast, to this this royal wedding. And then for the rest of your life, you would always try to steer every single conversation that you ever had with anybody back to the fact that you were there at the royal wedding. Like, someone could talk about, like, you know, going to uh, Puerto Rico for some kind of destination wedding, and you'd be like, yeah, well, guess what? One time I went to Prince Henry's wedding, and it was amazing, and I met everybody around the world. It was super cool. Like, you would be that obnoxious friend for the rest of your life. And, you know, no one would blame you for that, right? So Jesus is telling the story of getting invited to the most important wedding in the whole world, of the entire cosmos, of all of history, this amazing wedding feast. The king is organizing a wedding feast for his son. Now, the king in this story represents God the Father. The son, as you might guess, represents God the Son, Jesus Christ. And then the guests represent all of us, represent humanity, the people of God. And this is a spare-no-expense moment. In fact, you hear the king describing all of the the preparations that that he's making for this party. And what this symbolizes is that Jesus is being wedded to the church. This is a moment in which God and mankind is being reunited. It's the thing that all of our hearts desperately long for, for all the wrongs to be made right, for heaven and earth to come together as one, the great, beautiful wedding feast to come. Now, this is a very strange story. There's a lot of really strange, rude, crazy behavior that's happening here in this parable. The people themselves, those who are being invited, they're acting super weird. They're acting very strange. You see, the king sends out wave after wave of invitation. And the people are strange because time and time again, they're refusing the invitation. And not only are they refusing these amazing invitations, but they're doing so for really, really lame reasons. One says that they want to do it to go work at their farm. Another says they want to go and tend to their business. You know, it's like picking weeds and doing your taxes is more fun than going to the most amazing wedding feast in the world. Like, that's strange behavior. That's weird. But it gets even more strange and weird. Because one group of maniacs, when they receive an invitation, they actually kill the messenger. Like, what is going on here? Like, imagine... 
you uh, go and you, you hear your mailbox flicker or, or trip or whatever because the postman just dropped off some stuff. You go, you check it, you open it up, and there's a, a birthday invitation to Susie Q's birthday party. And you think to yourself, man, I don't really like Susie Q. I don't want to go. I wonder if there's any excuse. And so what you decide to do in that moment is to go outside and kill the postman. Like, you would never do that. That's weird. Like, that's strange behavior. That's not nice. Uh, that's not a good thing to do, right? So this is an over-the-top crazy language that Jesus is using in this parable of people doing strange things. But the king himself, he's also behaving in really strange ways too. You see, when the king finds out that the people rejected his invitation, he goes ballistic. I mean, he like, he like turns into the Hulk. Like I would love to see a video of this. It'd be, well, it'd be kind of terrifying actually. But like he, he goes and he marches on their homes he kills all of them, and after they're all, like, really dead, he burns their city. Like, let's talk about a maniac, right? Like, that's crazy. That's not normal behavior. So if we read this parable, if we hear this parable and treat it in a literalistic kind of way, that can be pretty disturbing. And part of my role as pastor is to help uh, all of us just uh, how, how to read the different genres and, of Scripture and things like that. And let me just say, like, we're not supposed to read this in a literalistic sort of way. Like, yeah, we can understand that a king would be irritated if, if people refuse the invitation. But, like, does that justify a king marching on their homes and leveling the entire city? No, of course not. So the key here is that we have to understand that Jesus is intentionally using exaggerated language to make a point. Because Jesus knows that the human heart is in danger. And Jesus wants to shake us awake. He wants to make sure that we hear the message, that we understand the danger that's, that's at stake here. Flannery O'Connor, she, she says this rather chillingly, and she also wrote very uh, over-the-top uh, stories as well. But Flannery, Flannery O'Connor says this. She says, in the land of death, you have to shout. You have to shout. So Jesus is dramatic. He's over-the-top. So don't literalize this parable. In other words, don't read this parable and think, oh, that's how God behaves. Like, God is not a moody tyrant whose, whose moods depend on human behavior. That's, that's not what the Bible teaches. The Bible teaches that God is love, that God will do anything to rescue and redeem his people, that God has a feast plan, that, that God has, has peace and reconciliation and hope and beauty that he wants to invite all of us into. And he's desperate about it. In fact, God's anger in this story is a metaphor for God's passion and zeal to set things right. And the human rebellion that's happening here, the human, the outlandish rejection that's happening here, this is a metaphor for humanity's rejection of God himself. So Jesus is telling a parable here about God's boundless, never giving up, relentless invitation to joy, invitation into a party. And like I said, this is the invitation of a lifetime, an invitation of all of human history. And refusing God's invitation to joy, it's scandalous. It's absolutely scandalous. We're supposed to read this story and say, why weren't these people accepting this invitation? It's such a scandal that they would not accept this invitation. Jesus is saying that's what it's like when we refuse the invitation of God. And not only that, but refusing God's call to joy, 
it says something. It says something about the trajectory that you're on. It says something about the end that you are moving towards. When you accept God's grace, there is a spiritual destruction that is at the end of that path. And Jesus is very starkly giving us a warning about that. Well, not only is it a scandal to refuse God's invitation, but there's more. Our story continues. The king's party, you see, it will be full. It will be full. The king will have it no other way. The room will be packed, shoulder to shoulder. There's no coronavirus here, so it'll be absolutely packed uh, at the Lord's uh, feast. And so the king decides to invite a different crowd. He sends his servants out to the main roads, to the highways, the highly trafficked parts of town. In other words, he is saying, find or invite the street people. Invite the people looking for something to do. Invite those who are without work. Invite those who have nothing. Invite those who are wandering the streets. Invite those who are lost. Invite those who would love to experience the joy and the lavishness of the feast that I've prepared. Invite all of these people. It kind of reminds me of the parable that we talked about a few weeks ago, where you have the master of the vineyard, and even at the end of the day, he goes out uh, to find more people to work in his vineyard, and he finds those people who are idle, the ones who've been forgotten about, those who aren't wanted, who have been deemed by society less than and not invited to come and work. And there in that story, the master says, yes, come, work in my vineyard. We see the same thing happening here. The king is an inviting king. Even the good and the bad, he says, all are invited. The God, or our God wants everyone at the party. Which, by the way, you might be looking around here and think, oh my goodness, like it's a little strange because... You know, not every chair is filled. In fact, we've got like these tags on some chairs saying like, don't sit here. You know, there's a lot of empty seats here. And so to talk about a full party might feel kind of strange. Uh, But the book of Hebrews teaches that when the people of God gather, that we're joined by angels and archangels and other heavenly creatures join and participate with us in celebrating the, the great spiritual feast of Jesus Christ. So I don't know, maybe this room isn't as as sparsely uh, populated as we think. So back to our story. The party is packed full. But there's a problem. There's a problem here at the party. A man shows up, and he's not actually dressed for the occasion. Uh, he, He doesn't come wearing a nice suit or a tux or whatever you would wear at a party like this. No, he's just kind of there in a t-shirt and flip-flops. Like, that's not okay. This isn't, this isn't a Puerto Rico uh, wedding. You know, this isn't a destination wedding. Like, you need to dress up for this kind of thing. Like, you're in a really nice palace right now. And the king comes over to him and very graciously, in a, in a non-embarrassing sort of way, kneels down and says, friend, friend, tell me what's going on here. Like, how beautiful is that, that the king, even in this moment, assumes positive intent. He says to the man, friend, what's going on here? Tell me your story. So, you know, here we have a final portrayal of the king's love for his people. You know, even this question is one more invitation from the king. It's an invitation for the man to to give a story, to give a reason for why he's not properly dressed. And he could have spoken up. Why didn't he? He, There's many things that he could have said. In fact, I I wonder, you know, how would this story have turned out if instead he said something like, I got to be honest, I don't have money to buy uh, nice clothing for your party, king. I'm, I'm really sorry. Like, what if he said that? 
Or what if you said, King, I was, believe it or not, I was actually just mugged on my way here, and, and, I don't, and they took my really nice suit jacket, and I'm, I'm sorry. Or what if you said, King, I just really wanted to be here right now. I was just desperate to be here, but I, I don't have a wedding garment, and I forgot it just out of my excitement to be here. You know what I think the king would have done? I think he would have behaved in the same way that the father in the parable of the prodigal son behaves when the prodigal son comes home. I think the king would have snapped his fingers and would have asked his servants to come and clothe this wedding guest because that's the kind of gracious, loving person this king is. That's the gracious love of our God who we serve. Friend, what's going on? Tell me what's going on here. Well, this simple question renders this man absolutely silent. He gives no answer. So at this point, it becomes obvious that the man has presumed upon the king's grace. He doesn't, he's not truly interested in being there. He's not invested in the party. He actually doesn't necessarily care. You know, he's just kind of there. He got the invitation, but he has no desire to participate in the party. He's there, but he doesn't want to participate. He might be in the king's palace, but there's no interest in participation. Well, friend, these wedding garments in this parable, they represent righteous living. They represent holy living, the holy lifestyle that God's people are invited and encouraged to participate in. It reminds me of what the psalmist says, to worship the Lord in the beauty of holiness. That's what the bride of Christ is supposed to be like. Worshiping the Lord in the beauty of holiness. You see, friends, brothers, and sisters, we have all been invited to the feast of the king. And we've all, through the waters of baptism, have been given these white robes of Christ's righteousness. The robes have been provided for us. And we're told to put those on, to walk as Christ walked, to have a lifestyle that is, is emblematic of the calling to which we've received to be able to reflect the glory and the, and, the, and the holy pride and beauty of our Lord. There is an expectation that if we are in the king's house, we act like it, that we act like a member of king's house. And without that, without that righteous living, well, then we're no different than those who initially refused the invitation. Cast out, the text tells us. So friends, just as it's scandalous to refuse the invitation, it's equally scandalous to refuse the king's participation. So what about us? What about us here in the Parkway Theater today? What about us, uh, a part of Restoration Anglican? Well, my prayer for us, friends, is that we can be a church both of invitation and participation. Invitation and participation. Just as the king tells the servants to go, go out into the streets, in the same way the son does the same thing to the church. At the end of Matthew, Jesus turns to the disciples and, and therefore us saying, go, go into all the nations. Make more disciples. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Go, go everywhere. We worship the God of invitation and he is asking us to partner with him in that task of invitation. So friends, we're called to pass out invitations, to find others, to bring them into the feast. So who in your life needs that? Who in your life is desperate for the joy of the feast that the king has set before us? Who needs to taste the abundant, relentless grace of God? 
Who needs to be able to experience the proclamation of the forgiveness of their sins and have that just fall at the wayside so that they can come? Who needs to, be, who needs to hear that invitation? But also, maybe we be people of participation. May we, because of the generosity and the kindness of the king, may we clothe ourselves in the king's robes of righteousness. May we walk as members of his household. Not in a snotty, like, better, better than you, holier-than-thou, self-righteous sort of way. No, we don't want to be punks about the gifts that God has given us. No, but we just want to reflect the king's glory to those who we love around us. Because it's all about him. It's all about him. It's all about the generosity and the, the home that he set uh, for us. It's all about the feast that he set before us, right? And so I wonder, what, is it, what does that look like here at the parkway? Here at the intersection of 48th and Chicago, just 10 blocks south of a global uh, shaking event, what does it look like for us to partner or to participate in the righteousness of God here? You know, I'm reminded of one of the staff people at the Nokomis Community Center who's not a believer. She said to me once, I just feel like your presence is blessing the whole park. Now, that's amazing. Now, can we do the same thing here? Can we, when we walk out those doors and we go to the neighborhoods and, and the, the businesses that, near, that are nearby, how can we be a blessing to this location? Because they're going to find out really quick that there's a church meeting here at the parkway every single Sunday. How can we be a blessing to them? And I don't exactly know what the answer is to that. Uh, it's probably a listening to the Holy Spirit in every single moment. Um, but it's my prayer that, that as the weeks go on in this chapter, while we're here, that that's something that we can explore together. How can we be people of the feast here at 48th in Chicago? People of invitation and participation. Please pray with me. Lord Jesus, we anticipate with desire and gladness and eagerness the great wedding feast to come. Thank you, Lord, for calling us into that. And thank you, Lord, for every Sunday giving us an opportunity to get a foretaste of that spiritual feast. Lord, we dwell upon your presence. We hunger for you, Lord Jesus. Help us to be people who extend the invitation to those in our circles, those who we bump shoulders with, those who we love uh, in our circles. May we be people of the invitation, but also, Lord, may we walk in a manner that is worthy of your name, that when people look at us, they don't, they don't necessarily see us, but they see lives that have been transformed and redeemed by you and your grace. We love you, Jesus. And it's in your name that we pray all of these things. Amen.